Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Masterpiece series and is entitled, Our Relationships and How the Gospel Wins. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming to Restoration Church this morning. We're a church that uh, is committed to making disciples that make disciples, that uh, reproduce themselves. And we, we take this time, every, every sermon, uh, every message to cast a vision. And last night we were having a prayer time at the house. And by the way, we're going to have more prayer times at the house. And everyone is invited to prayer time at the Holland House. It was awesome. And we're going to do it probably at least once a month on a Saturday night. But um, last night, Lance said something really important to me. He said, you know, the word vision and burden in the Hebrew is synonymous. They're basically the same thing. So it's a way of saying that for this church, our burden is to make disciples, to make disciples that reproduce themselves in the culture and change the city in the name of Jesus, right? That's our burden. That's what we want to pursue. Uh, Lance and I just came home from the Exponential Conference. We went Monday through Thursday. It was in Santa Ana, California, uh, near the University of Irvine at Mariner's Church. Beautiful facility, great speakers, great challenges. And like when we came back from Send, we, we came back encouraged. We're on the right track. We're doing the right thing. Um, God is moving here. We're listening to the Holy Spirit and what the church planning experts across the world are saying. We're already in step with. There's a little tweaks we can make, a few uh, extra strides we can make, but we're, we're right in the right path. And I don't know about you, but uh, I flew on Frontier Airline. Anybody ever fly Frontier Airline? Okay, so I probably will now be on the no-fly list, but don't ever fly Frontier Airline. Okay? <laughs> like, it's the most miserable airplane I've ever been on, right? I mean, the, the, the stewardesses, the captains, the flights, they were great, but the seats don't lean back. They're super small. The tray table is literally the size of an iPad Air that folds in front of you. That's the tray table, right? So you can't even put your elbows on it to lean forward and go to sleep because one will fall off the whole time. Um, but on the way back, when I, I was leaving Santa Ana and going to Denver, um, I got lucky and the flight wasn't full. Right, and so, and it was full everywhere except for the la- the back of the airplane. There was like an entire row by itself that some old guy took up, and then there was me and the guy sitting beside me, and, and the person in the center seat or the in the window seat didn't show up, and so I got the window seat. Anybody like the window seat? Yeah, I love the window seat. The the only negative of the window seat is the intense crick in the neck that comes with the window seat. You know what I'm saying? Because they they didn't put the windows here where you can just naturally like, oh look, there's the ground. They put them back here. So if you want to look out the window, you got like this the whole time. Now you're looking behind you. And so you got that crick in your neck. But I love the window seat because I love the 10,000-foot view of the world, right? I love to, especially at night when you're like flying over and it's just pitch black dark, and you're wondering, are we over ocean? Are we in space? Is there a city coming up? And then all of a sudden there's like lights everywhere. and It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We, I got, actually, we left Irvine. I left at 6 o'clock, and so I left at sunset. And so when we took off over the Pacific, the sun was setting, and it was, it was gorgeous. Had the window seat, right? 10,000-foot view. Today in our text, we're going to look at a 10,000-foot view of a huge chunk of Matthew. All right? We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty. We're not going to get into the verse-by-verse uh, meat of it. But we're going to look at the big picture, the 10,000-foot view of what Jesus is saying is true about us, and it's true about Him, and how He makes us like Himself. Right? What's true about us, what's true about Him... And how he makes us like himself. So if you have your text, we're going to be in Matthew. Uh, this is going to be chapter um, 5, verses 17 through 39. 39. Let's say 17 through 39. If we go a little further or we get a little less, that's fine. We'll be there. Um, 
And we're going to look at this, the, the lens that we're going to see this text is through something that we're all familiar with, right? Everybody can say, I'm a part of this. It's called a relationship. Anybody ever had a relationship? Anybody in a relationship? Right? There are mothers, there are fathers, there are sons, there are daughters. We're all in here, right? There are any, any frat brothers? Anybody have a frat brother? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Any sorority sisters? No. Anybody ever been a teammate? A teammate? There you go. A co-worker? Yeah, I mean, everybody has a relationship. Uh, and for the vast majority of the people in our, in our congregation, in our group, we're married. So we have the husband-wife relationship, right? The first essential human relationship ever created by God, the husband-wife relationship. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at relationships and what, what God says about us, about Him, and how He makes us into, himself, into us, sorry, in, more like Himself in the context of relationships. So that's our, our setup. So if we're all in relationships, has anybody been in a bad relationship? You ever had a struggle? Does anybody have a perfect relationship? Let's start with that. Anybody ever not fight? Anybody's marriage perfect? You need to come do counseling at my house because I need to learn how to be a perfect husband. So um, we're actually doing pre-marriage counseling for people, and I'm like, oh, y'all are going to screw each other up so bad. But it's going to be joyful, and God is so good. You know, we're, Lots of hope. Um, why, why, do we, why are relationships hard? Why do we struggle in relationships? I would say because they're under assault all the time. Every relationship is always under assault. It's under assault externally, and it's under assault internally. Right? Externally, we can look at like, we look, let's look at marriage. Marriage is constantly under assault in our culture. Right? Whether it's a man and a woman, a woman and a woman, a man and a man, a man and a dog, a dog and a horse. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, marriage is always under assault. Right? Um, from the culture, not only is it under assault with like defining what it is, it's under assault on whether or not it's a sustainable thing. Right? 55% of first-time marriages end in divorce. So our culture says that's an acceptable thing to do, is to follow that pattern. And we, living in this culture, hear this constantly, and it begins to invade our hearts, enter our minds. Maybe I want to get a divorce. This is hard. Maybe I want to get a divorce. And there are some people in here that have been affected by divorce. Um, there are a lot of people, maybe you know someone that's been affected by divorce. The culture is constantly attacking marriage. But marriage is more under attack on a regular day-to-day -day basis Internally, in our own hearts, right? We get angry at our spouses. We are selfish. Remember last week we looked and talked about the difference between religion and Jesus. And one of the religion questions, are we stuck, are we trapped in the snare of religion was, who's the worst enemy of your relationships? And the answer is me, right? I am the worst enemy of my relationships. My selfishness, my pride, my needs, my wants, my desires, my anger, my bitterness. That's what's the worst part, the worst enemy in my relationships. But ultimately, the reason relationships are hard, the reason we struggle both in relationships with humans and with God, is our hearts are broken. Our hearts are broken. The root of who we are, the core of who we are is rotten. It's affected by sin and we're fallen. But there's good news. There's good news. That's the problem. Our hearts are broken. The good news is there's a hope for the broken relationships because there's a hope for our broken hearts. There's a hope for us. There's a hope for the root. The Bible has something to say about it. Matthew 5, 17 through 39. That's where we're going to be, okay? And what it's going to teach us is that there is a redeemer of relationships because there's a redeemer of the heart. And as, as God redeems our heart, He makes a way for us to, one, be restored in a relationship with Him and then restored in a relationship with others. And that's kind of one of our catchphrases at this church, right? Intimacy with God, intimacy with others. As we grow closer to Christ, we grow closer to the body. As we grow closer to the body, we see Christ moving in our lives and grow closer to Him. 
the Savior of our marriages, of our friendships, of our work relationships, of all these things, there, there is a Messiah. There is a Savior that has come. His name is Jesus, and He's a gardener. He's a great gardener. Right? We'll talk about what that means. So Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Let's, uh, let's chew on that for a little bit. Remember, 10,000 foot view. We're going to look at this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill, the, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is the law and the prophets? Jesus said, I do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. What is that? It's the Old Testament. And what is the Old Testament a book about? The coming Messiah. From start to end, there's a, a sin problem, and we fall, and then God promises restoration of relationships, right? Uh, I will send the seed, there will be enmity between you and the seed. He's talking to Satan, and he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel, and there's that promise of the gospel, the proto-evangelium, is that what it's called? Did I say it right? Yeah, proto-evangelium. And so the first gospel in there telling us that there's going to be a Savior coming. And then from that point on in the, in the history of the book, we see here's the effects of sin, and I'm going to send you a Savior. And then we start to see in the, uh, in the, in the history parts of the Old Testament, we start to see men rise, risen up, to be examined. Is this the Messiah? Is this the Savior? And then they fall in sin. Nope, not him. Is this the Messiah? Nope, they fall in sin. And they go through the entire thing and you see the prophets coming in saying, I'm going to restore you, Israel. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to bring you back to me. I'm going to send Messiah, the Anointed One. And the Anointed One is going to redeem you. Not just as a nation, but redeem you as an individual. It's going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you. You're going to walk in my commandments. And that's, that's the hope of the Messiah, right? So when Jesus says he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's, coming, he's saying, I am the Messiah. That's basically what he said in a, in a cool Jewish way that a first century Jew listening to his sermon, when he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. So if Jesus ever said, if you have a Jewish friend that says, Jesus never said he was God. He never said he was Messiah. No, he did. He, right there. He said he's Messiah. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. But he's not just going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the holy, perfect Messiah. Right? He'll be more than just a Savior. He'll be the true Savior that can save the soul, save the heart. He references the Mosaic Law when he states that not a single law will be overlooked or relaxed. You know what an iota is? Yeah. It's a cool southern term, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, I got a little iota. You know, it's like little southern people say it a lot. But iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. And basically what it looks like is an apostrophe. Right? If, you, if you're looking at Greek words and you see this little nick somewhere in there... It's the, it's the word, um, the, the letter for I, iota. It's the smallest one. It's like a little pinprick in the, in the text. And Jesus is saying, not even an apostrophe is going to be neglected by me. I'm going to hit it all. I'm going to dot all my I's. I'm going to cross all the T's. I'm going to keep the law perfectly. I'm going to fulfill the law and the prophets, and I will be the perfect holy Messiah. And because I will fulfill that role, my righteousness will do what? Surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Right? Because what did the scribes and the Pharisees do? They kept the law. 
right? And then they made more laws that they could break. And they made more laws that would interpret the laws that they had just created. So they were constantly trying to create their own righteousness by their ability to keep law. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. But I, not a single iota will pass before I've completed and fulfilled the law. I am Messiah. I am the perfect Messiah. And not only am I Messiah, I am the redeemer of your broken hearts. I've come to save you. I've come to keep the law for you so that my righteousness can be your righteousness and you can be with me in a restored relationship. So that, what does that mean? That means that there are no self-help books. There's no 10-step programs. There's no religious rules. There's nothing that can save us or restore us like Jesus Messiah. Only Him. There's no counselor, no biblical or non-biblical that can change our hearts or mend our broken relationships like Jesus can. Because He's the anointed one. He's the promised one that comes to, to, to mend our hearts. He will restore us to God. He will restore us to one another. And that is our hope. But how will He do it? How will He do it? By mending our broken hearts. By, by, by taking out our sinful hearts and giving us a new heart. Now, I know what you're thinking. Stop saying heart. It's so annoying. It's such a Christianese term. We're going to define it. So just hang with me. Just you know, keep thinking about the four-chambered muscle. I mean, it's not really four-chamber muscle, but just the inner man. Just think about that, okay? So Jesus starts off with, uh, I am Messiah. I am perfectly holy. I am going to complete the law. My righteousness will exceed those of the scribes and the Pharisees. And let me tell you why you need me. Right? That's what he goes into this next text. Where we, we see him start to give these five reminders of the law with these, you have heard it said statements. Right? You have heard it said, do not murder. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. You have heard it said, if you divorce, give her a certificate of divorce. You have heard it said, do not swear falsely. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye. And so what Jesus does is he reminds us that um, here's this, this beautiful law that you can't keep. Right? You've heard it said this. And he comes into the, the next side. He says, but I say to you. Right? So he doesn't stop at the actions, murder, lie. Adultery, divorce, you know, he doesn't stop there, or revenge. He doesn't stop there. He, he, sees, he sees these fruits, but he's the master gardener, right? And he's not concerned about your actions as much as he is concerned about your heart, your inner man, who you really are, your inner woman. Right? I mean, the inner man is general. It's not, it's not sexist. So. The law statements focus on the actions. They focus on the outside. They focus on the fruit. But because Jesus is the master gardener, he focuses on the root. Murder, lying, getting divorced, adultery, they're all outside. We call them fruit. But Jesus is more concerned about who we are, not what we do, but the why we do what we do. That's what he wants to change. He wants to change the why. Now, if you're from anywhere other than the South, when I say the why, you're like, why is he saying it like that? Right? The why? The what? The why? The why? The why? You, you, you hear it? The why? All right, cool. Yankees hear it instantly, and they're like, what is, what is he saying? I don't get it. So if you're watching online, I'm sorry I'm Southern. All right. The root is what Jesus is focused on, right? So you hate in your heart. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. Right? He, he, focus, he, he takes off the, the tree. He pulls out the apple and says, this is the action, but this is what produced the action. If you say don't murder, I say don't hate. You say don't commit adultery. That's a gross looking fruit. But I say if you've lusted, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's equal sin. 
He is equating these things. He's not saying like one's lesser of an evil, one's lesser of a sin. He's saying the same thing. Right? To murder, to hate is to murder. To lust is to commit adultery. Um, he says if you lie, you're, you're, if you bear false witness, if you're saying, hey, check this out, I swear by blah, 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 what you're doing is you're, you're being prideful in that moment. You're saying, I have the authority to make a promise. Right? But Jesus says, no, let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. Don't, don't swear on heaven or on any other things. Just say yes and mean yes. Right? Don't, don't prop up your promises with pride. And if you seek revenge, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I say to you. If you're, if you're seeking revenge, you're self-centered. You have a self-focus. I want justice. I want what's due to me. At the end it says, if, if, an eye for an eye, but I say to you, if your brother slaps you in the face, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. I've always wondered, what does that mean, to turn the other cheek? You know, like, is that so they can slap you on the other side of the face? Well, no. That's not what it means. Think about uh, traditional greetings. Right? They do this in Europe all the time. You walk up to someone, you give them a hug, and what do they do? They kiss you on the cheek, right? And then, if they're Italian, they grab you by the face, and they go, mwah, 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 right in the lips. And you're like, ah! Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but they kiss you on both cheeks, right? So to turn the other cheek is this. If they assault your relationship, turning the other cheek means you are hoping that they'll come back and restore that relationship. You're hoping, you're leaving room for a relationship to come back. So it doesn't mean be abused. It means always leave room and hope for a restored relationship. Don't just stay bitter. Don't just keep being abused. Hope for a relationship. I think that's beautiful. The actions reveal our brokenness. Jesus is trying to illustrate to us that our sin is not because of other people. Our sin is not because the devil made us do it. Our sin is not because um, of a circumstance that we fall into. Our sin comes from within us. Right? It's because of our inner man. It's because our hearts are broken because of the fall. It's not an idea outside of us that Jesus came to conquer. He came to conquer you. He came to conquer me. Our own hearts. He came to conquer us. It's in us. We are sin apart from Christ. It's not outside of us. It is us. So when we say Christ bore our sin on the cross, that's like him saying he picked us up and carried us to the Father. Right? He bore sin for us. We need to be redeemed and saved by Messiah. This is a person-to-person need. It's not a corporate thing. If sin was a concept, then we could be saved by being associated with the church. Right? But because sin is an inside, an internal thing, you have to make a decision about whether you you want Christ to redeem you or not. You have to be in relationship with Jesus. We are all guilty before God because of our sin. And because our motivations and our thoughts are so warped against God's design, we end up hurting people in relationships. Why do relationships struggle? Because we have sin in us. Because our hearts are broken. The root of who we are is rotten. Like to the core, right? I mean, that's the reason we hurt people. That's the reason we lash out. That's the reason we demand justice. That's the reason we demand people meet our needs above their needs. That's the reason when we come home tired, we yell at our wives. When we come home exhausted or we've, we've been with the kids all day, we demand, I got to have my, you know, like we, we, our sin, we have sin inside of us. Why do we fight with our coworkers? Because they're not meeting our expectations. Me, 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 right? Well, I mean, are, are they talking about, about us? Are they, get, they gossip or they smack us and we don't hope for relationships? Nah, forget them. We don't want to be with them. You know, those lost idiots, <laughs> those Christian hypocrites, 
Like, it's our sin. We don't turn the other cheek. We don't have a pure heart that honors God. Apart from Christ, we're hopeless. We lie, we commit adultery, we divorce our spouses, we seek revenge for wrongs committed, we murder in our hearts because the root is destroyed. Just an interesting passage. I know you probably wish we'd go verse by verse and talk about all these things. I know because there's a lot of meat in this text. And maybe that'll be for a different time. But um, one of the, when Lance and I were looking this at our conference, we were looking at this text and we're sitting at, what was it called? Something Donner? Whatever. He was eating apple pie. And I was jealous. So, but he offered it to me. I just didn't get it. Anyway, <laughs> we're looking at this text and we're like, it's interesting that all these, these things start with, you have heard it said, except for the one on divorce. The one on divorce says, it is also said, blank. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Divorce says, it is also said, blah, 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 blah. Why is it different? I mean, like, when you look in your English translations, it's all set, it's separated by titles, right? It's got like lust, anger, divorce, oaths, retaliation, right? It's, it's like it's broken up to give us something to look at. But... When it was written, it didn't have those subtitles, right? It wasn't broken up. It was all one big move. And I think it's just interesting that Jesus is showing us that the key relationship, the one relationship that God designed to illustrate the greatest thing in the world about who he is, the gospel, right? He designed marriage to illustrate the gospel, that Christ in the church is the relationship between us and, and him when he comes to save us. The one thing is marriage, right? Christ is the bride. I mean, the church is the bride of Christ, Right? In, in, in Ephesians 5, love your wives like Christ loved the church. church. Right? I mean, this, that illustration of marriage, the, the first essential established relationship that God gave us in the garden from which all other relationships flow is right here in the middle. Anger, lust, something about marriage, ending, oaths, retaliation. I wonder if what he's saying is, you, you, you want loopholes. You want loopholes for your sin. And Moses gave you a loophole, right? He said, give her a certificate of divorce. But if you would look at divorce, you would look at marriage through the lens of your broken heart. And you would let me redeem your broken heart. And you would let me be Messiah. This wouldn't even be an issue. Right? If you, if you didn't lust, if you weren't angry and murder in your heart, you wouldn't seek divorce. If you kept your word, if you kept your oaths, you didn't swear by a bunch of things, but if your yeses were yes and your noes were no and you kept your oaths, don't you remember you made a covenant to me in marriage? If you kept that, if you were able to, if your heart was pure enough, if it was redeemed, if the root was good, the fruit would change, divorce wouldn't even be an issue. But it is. This, this major relationship, the one established relationship that God uses to illustrate His love for us, Marriage, under attack constantly. In our culture, even in that culture, under attack. And it's broken not because of sexual immorality. It's broken because you are broken. But Christ comes to redeem us. Christ comes to give us a new heart. He comes to make us new. If we didn't hate, if we didn't lust, we didn't cheat, we kept our oaths, it wouldn't even be an issue. But it is because we're broken. 
So Jesus has come. The King is here. The Messiah is the saving Messiah. He's the perfect Messiah. Our anger, our lust, our broken relationships, our lives, our need for revenge and self-centered justice, all of these things show that our inner man, the root, is in trouble. But how does Jesus save us from ourselves? We've been talking about the heart. We've been talking about the root. How does he change us? How does it actually happen? Right? Can you change your heart? If we could, then we wouldn't have sin, right? We would just determine that we're going to change our heart and we're not going to have broken relationships. But that doesn't work. We still sin against one another. Even the people you love the dearest, you probably sin the most against, right? So how's he going to save us? How's he going to save us from ourselves and how's he fix the root? You've heard it before, and it's a cliche term, but we're actually going to get into the depth of what this means, right? The hope for your broken heart is the gospel. The hope for your heart is the gospel. The hope for my heart, the gospel, the good news. What is the good news? God is in the business of changing hearts. God is in the business of restoring relationships with Him and those around us. God sent Messiah to conquer sin in us, to give us a new life through His death and resurrection in Jesus. By faith, we can be saved from our own broken hearts. Right? Jesus comes and does something new. How does He do it? First, what's the heart? Let's really define this. That is a Christian term, right? We say, accept Jesus into your heart. What does that mean? <laughs> like, okay, make an incision, open up, put him in the left ventricle. <laughs> now, like, and then you'll throw an embolism and have a stroke. Like, you, no, it doesn't mean that. What does it mean to accept Jesus in your heart? What's the heart? Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29. Find that if you can. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29. I will take you from the nations and gather you all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'll gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Remove the broken, rotten root and give you a root that produces life. And I will put my spirit not around you, not beside you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all of your uncleanliness. Your, your uncleanness. What is the heart? The heart is the will. The heart is the mind. The heart is our motivations and our thoughts. That's our heart. So what does Jesus come to redeem? He comes to redeem our will, our passions, our motivations, our inner man. He comes to redeem everything about us that which we flows everything out, right? In biblical counseling, we have this, this tree model. And we say, okay, there's a tree and here's all your fruit. These are your actions, your words, your, um, your behaviors. They're all out here. This is what you see on the outside. And then down at the bottom is a big old heart. And the heart is your motivations and your thoughts and your beliefs, right? Jesus doesn't, when, we, when, we, when Jesus comes into our life and, and gives us a new heart, He gives us new motivations New thoughts, new beliefs. He redeems our minds. He redeems our will. The idea of the heart is um, 
is not our emotions, right? In Hebrew, the emotions is your gut. Like when you feel something, you feel it in your gut, not in your heart. In America, when you feel something, you feel it in your heart, right? I've got, well, sometimes, unless it's love, then you feel it in your, in your gut, right? You've got the butterflies in your gut, and you get nauseous, and you want to vomit everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had that feeling? No? Just me? All right, cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, you feel that one in your gut. Everything else is like, you know, I just feel in my heart. That, we, we say that word all the time, but what does it mean? It means I feel in my mind. I, I believe in my soul. I know in my will. I know my motivations are too blank. That's what our heart is. So what, is, what does Ezekiel say Jesus is going to do, God's going to do? He's going to restore our relationship with himself by giving us a new mind and a new will and putting his spirit inside of us to nurture that root. Right? I'll put my spirit within you, and then you will be able to walk by my commandments. You'll be able to keep my commandments. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. He gives us a new mind, a new will, and he gives us his spirit to nurture the root that brings life. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. Now we have not received a spirit of the world, but a spirit who is from God, that we, we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not even able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, on the other hand, judges all things, but is himself not to be judged by anyone. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is what it means for Jesus to be your Messiah. Right here, this is it. You believe that he has laid down his life to redeem your soul through his sacrifice and his resurrection. He puts his spirit inside of you and changes your mind and your will and lets you learn to spiritually discern things, to walk in his, in his statutes, to not be controlled by lust and anger and pride and selfishness and self-deceit. The carnal man, the person without the spirit, has no other option. In Christ, when the Spirit comes into us and He gives us a new mind and a will, we have the ability to not be controlled by lust and anger and desire and, and pride and selfishness. Right? So, what does that look like for us? Our hope in our relationships is the gospel. Our hope in everything is the gospel. The gift of a changed mind and a will to align with the Spirit of God who is in us. Our relationships are falling apart. If our marriages are in trouble, if we're contemplating ending a friendship or a marriage or whatever relationship, it might not be because of the other person. It might be because we're refusing to let the gospel win. It might be because in our own lives we're refusing to let the gospel change our mind, change our will, and act like Christ acted towards us. It might be because we're clinging on to our old flesh, our brokenness, instead of living in a new heart and walking by the Spirit. When the gospel wins, there's a new root. When there's a new root, there's gospel fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When the gospel wins, that's what flows out. When we hold on to our flesh, pride, anger, Judgment, revenge, justice, our justice. That's what flows out. 
We've got to nurture the root to get the fruit. Right? He gives us a new heart. He gives us a spirit. But we have a role. We have to nurture the, the root. You know, we have to water it. We have to let the sun shine on it. <laughs> like the light of Christ shine. We've got, we got to nurture it in order for the fruit to grow. How do we do that? Romans 12, 1 and 2. How do, how do we nurture the root? 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worship. It starts with, we submit ourselves in worship to the Father. That's the first way you nurture the root. Right? You call Him God of your life, Him Lord, Him King, and you walk by that, by that, in that stature. You worship Father by, by giving yourself as a living sacrifice. And then you allow your mind to be changed by Him, not by your culture, not by your world, not by your gut, but by Him. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What's another way to say that? Your heart. Let your heart be renewed by the gospel. Let your mind and your will be aligned with the Spirit who is in you. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, the perfect and acceptable will of God. We nurture the root by submitting our lives to Jesus as a living sacrifice, which is our act of worship, and by seeking to renew our hearts in God's Word and by His Spirit. We agree with the Spirit of God to change our will and align with God's will. To be about the Father's business, right? The prayer of the person walking in the Spirit is, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Right? Not my will be done. My kingdom grow. Like, but that's, that's the heart of the one who's got a new root. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's a KOG mindset. Right? A lot of you in here, you've got a KOG mindset. That's evidence of the new root. You don't have a KOG. The carnal man, the fleshy man, can't, doesn't have KOG mindset. It's impossible. It's folly. It's foolishness. We submit ourselves to the Spirit and we change our mind through prayer. Right? Prayer is not necessarily about telling God what we want. It's about God changing our hearts. Right? It's, it's us talking with Him long enough for His Spirit to get us in line with His will. Right? I mean, the more we pray, the more we realize that we lay down our sin before Him and we end up doing more confession than we do asking. And then the more that we're in relationship with Him in our prayers, the more our hearts align with His will for this world. And then we do crazy things. We love in crazy ways. We forgive in crazy ways, right? Because our God is a crazy God who stepped out of holiness into the muck of this world to rescue us. That's craziness. And when, when the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and we pray and we walk with Him in prayer and relationship, He changes us and aligns us with that will. And then we live crazy. It's a beautiful craziness. Anybody like beautiful crazy? Yeah. I don't like ugly crazy. <laughs> I dealt with ugly crazy yesterday. That was weird. But I like beautiful crazy. Right? I mean, like, where it just it doesn't make sense to the world why you would love someone who's hurt you like that. Why you would forgive someone who sinned against you in such a way. Why you would even turn your other cheek, leaving room for a relationship to be restored. That doesn't make any sense. Walk away from them. All they're going to do is keep abusing you. Right? That's what the world says to us. Get, get yours. Take them to court. Sue them. Christ is like, no, man, forgive them. Turn the other cheek. Make room for a relationship. Move towards them. And the gospel. You can't do that with your brokenness. But you can do that with the new root that you nurture in prayer. And by letting your mind and your heart be renewed in the gospel. Our hearts, our mind, our will are changed by the gospel of Jesus, by grace through faith, not by works. It's not by us that we do this. We nurture what Christ is doing in us. Right? We, we can't will ourselves through reading enough scripture to have a new heart. 
You can't will yourself by doing enough mission trips to have a new heart. It is by grace through faith that we get a new heart. And then our walking with Christ in prayer and through His Word and through relationship with the body of Christ is just nurturing what God is doing. Right? It's, it's adding a little water, adding a little sunshine, letting it work. We're not fighting it, we're submitting to it. That's what prayer and scripture study and fellowship and worship do. They just add to what Christ is doing. We can't change our heart by doing that. Christ has got to do it. So let's imagine what that looks like. All right? Imagine what it looks like if the gospel wins. What if the gospel won in your marriage today? Like, anybody get in a fight before they come to church this morning? That happens a lot. <laughs> right? I mean, like, what would what it, what it mean if we... If we didn't hold on to that something that was aggravating us in our depth, right? If we didn't go to the bathroom or to the bedroom and just like grumbled under our breath and then turn around, oh, nothing, honey, I'm good. You know, what if, what if, what if we didn't let bitterness control our relationship and therefore we didn't hate in our heart and murder our spouse in our heart, but we turn the other cheek and we move towards them in forgiveness. And forgiveness is not like Oh, I forgive you. If forgiveness is a choice to not bring something up against somebody again. It's a choice to forget. Right? It, that's what, what God says. I remove your sins from you. Far as the east is from the west. I choose not to hold them against you. That's what God says. That's the demonstration of forgiveness. How would that restore your marriage? If you just let God help you turn the cheek today. What if the gospel wins in your friendships? What if you didn't let anger allow you to keep from being around people who have hurt you? What if instead you, you know, what is it, you heap coals on their head by loving them? Like, what if, what if you move towards them and let God convict them? You know, and let God change their heart, but you didn't just be like, forget you, I'm out of here. With the gospel won in your friendships. So therefore, when somebody gossiped about you or stabbed you in the back, they, their mind could be blown by the way you keep coming back and loving them and serving them, and giving to them, and praying for them, and encouraging them. And all the time, they got the knife in their hand. Turn the other cheek. Hope for relationship. What about with your kids? Maybe instead of seeking justice for wrongs committed against you, right? You, you, you move towards them. Right? And instead of, go to your room, it's, come here, let's talk about this. Right? What, I mean, how would that change our relationships with our kids? What about at work? What if you let God's will and love compel you to keep working in an environment that's not gospel-centered? Because the gospel is one in giving you a new heart, and therefore your mind and your will are kingdom-focused now. So you don't go to work to be happy. You go to work to work for the king. You might draw a paycheck, wonderful, but you go to work for the king for the kingdom. So you can do anything for eight hours a day, right? I mean, like, that's why I tell myself every time I go to EMS, I can do anything for 24 hours. You know, I can, I can work with anybody. I can deal with any patient. It's just 24 hours, and I'm going home. But I go there for the king, right? What it, I mean, I'm, I don't do it all the time, so I'm not going to try to sound righteous or anything. Sometimes I go for myself, and I'm miserable the whole time, and people around me are miserable. But, I mean, but if the gospel wins in my heart, and I walk in prayer and I let God renew my mind and my will, then my eyes open up and I start to see my coworkers differently, not as enemies that are competing for promotions, not as enemies who are out to get me in trouble with my boss or to backstab me or to undercut me, but as people that the king wants to restore and redeem. So then my eyes open up, 
relationships change, service changes, crazy love happens, and God wins. The kingdom moves forward. Jesus is the perfect Messiah. He's come to give us a new mind and a new will by replacing the dead root with a new root and His Spirit to nurture it. When we let the gospel win in our hearts, we begin to produce gospel fruits. The root produces the fruit. If you look at your life and you're seeing anger and lust and bitterness and rage and, and, and justice and demands, check the root. Don't change the behavior. Check the root. Nurture it in the gospel. When the gospel produces gospel, when, when it produces gospel fruits, our relationships with friends, family, and coworkers and spouses are more satisfying and God glorifying. I'm sure you can hear, like, okay, marriages, coworkers, children, friends and family. There's a missing relationship that the gospel's got to win in. It's a missing relationship. And that's for next week. So hang on tight, we're coming back to it. But the gospel wins in everything. If we let the Spirit nurture the root, we nurture the root with Him. And gospel fruit is the result. The gospel wins. Right? Gospel wins. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about our church or hear other episodes from the same series, please visit www.restorationchurch.us.